Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And I'm super excited to share my guest with you today because I've had one of his books on my bookshelf since I first started studying about life after death many years ago. You may know him. His name is Daniel Brinkley, and his New York Times best-selling book that I'm talking about is Saved by the Light. Daniel is an internationally renowned speaker and an author in the fields of spirituality, the near-death experience, and end-of-life care. He's the author of three books, his first being the one I mentioned before, Saved by the Light, which has sold over 20 million copies and was produced into a movie. His second book is titled At Peace in the Light, and after a third near-death experience, he wrote Secrets of the Light, co-authored by his wife, Catherine. There's so much more to this fantastic, fun, wonderful, loving man named Daniel Brinkley. And, uh, you know, I want him to talk about his Twilight Brigade, making a difference with our veterans, his upcoming book, and who knows where this interview will go. His website, uh, if you want to know, is Daniel.com, And he also has the Twilight Brigade Dot com. And as always, you can go to WeDon'tDieRadio.com to see his smiling face and what he looks like while you listen. So, Daniel Brinkley, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Sandra, thank you for having me. And thank you for having the courage to step up, especially from a skeptic's point of view, because I have to sincerely say before being struck by lightning in 1975, I was the ultimate skeptic. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Tell us a little well, bit. Where 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 were you back in 1975? Where were you, where are you from? Well, I'm from South Carolina. I grew up as a jackass, <laughs> you know, tough guy. Okay. Uh, yeah, arrogant, pompous football player. You know, nothing was real, and all this stuff was woo-woo and stupid. And then I was in the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. And then I worked contract for various agencies with three-letter words, three letters, as opposed to words, and I, I was—I came home one afternoon after being in Nicaragua, and I was talking. The phone rang, and I went to answer it, and I could hear the thunder, but not quite the lightning at a distance. And mm -hmm. I picked the phone up. I sat down on the edge of the bed. I picked the phone up. Lightning struck the, came down the phone line, hit me in the side of the head. It went down my spine. It welded the nails of the heels of my shoes, my heels and my bass, Weegens was nails. Then I happened to be over the nails that that put the flooring, the wood flooring down. It welded the nails of the heels of my shoes to the nails in the floor. It threw me in the air, suspended me in the air, threw me back down on the bed. I was dead for 28 minutes, completely paralyzed for six days, partially paralyzed for seven months. It took me two years to learn to walk and feed myself. But what I discovered from being burning and on fire and blinded by the ball of fire that came through the room and my burnt my eyes, I could not see, I could not move, and it was like I drank battery acid. Mm. And I lifted out of my body. No pain. I could see. I could see the stuff in the room. I could watch the energetic fields that was being produced by everything, especially the plants that were in the room, and how they were being sensitive to me. So now, whereas I used to didn't give a crap or pay any attention to plants, now whenever I see a garden or I see a, a plant uh, blooming, I stop, appreciate it, and admire it because I know it appreciates and admires that I appreciate and admire it. But wow. the most amazing thing that happened, Sam, was this. There is no such thing as death. Nobody ever dies. It is a stupid concept. It's stupid. And it creates such a control of our lives because now, because of the advancement of medicine, it's no longer whether you're going to die or not. Because in dying, there are three positions. Number one, there is nothing after this. Number two, you're going to hell. Right. Number three, you're going to heaven. But what we have now is this, fear and pain. Mm -hmm. Okay, fear comes in who knows what the doctor's going to say. 
uh, and fear because you're either going to go nowhere, heaven or hell. And then the pain that comes with trying to stay alive and trying to survive. What people don't understand is we come here to teach and to learn. And it's a growth process. And in this new book, I wrote the, the Light Trilogy, Saved at Peace and Secrets. Mm-hmm. Because I was trying to give people ideas and concepts to look at it. And saying why I wrote, this is the reason why I wrote, uh, I wrote Saved by the Light. After my second near-death experience with open-heart surgery, because of the damage done by the lightning into my heart, Mm -hmm. 13 years later, I had to have open-heart surgery. And I wasn't going to do it. And my father had called Raymond, and Dr. Raymond Mm -hmm. Moody, because most people don't realize that the hospital they took me to, Raymond was a medical student. And this is before he had published... uh, Uh, life after life and he was a medical student there and because I was uh, when I came to the hospital patient unconscious patient not breathing no EKG that pretty well tells you where I was Mm -hmm. when I got there and I I met Raymond and I, I became enamored with the fact that Raymond was the only person that asked some really sane questions because I didn't talk about it and I realized there were so many people who had had this experience that people thought they were crazy, how they wouldn't listen to it, and it, they didn't see Jesus, and all that kind of stuff that goes on in a religious candor. Mm-hmm. And so after the second experience, I came to see Raymond, because he said, he said, Dan, stay. I need your help. Raymond was in trouble, Sam. It wasn't like today. Near-death experiences, people are listening. Raymond's entire community, as an MD and a forensic psychiatrist, had turned against him. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, his his marriage had broken up. His his life had come to a halt. He was attacked everywhere. And I took a look, and you know, Raymond and I are good friends. And so I decided to write a book. It was Raymond's idea, but I decided to write a book because somebody had to defend. Right those people who had a story to tell and were afraid to tell it. And when you have a mystical spiritual experience, like a near-death experience, sooner or later you need to talk about it. And as you repress it, it only grows inside of you because you see so much delusion Mm -hmm. among people approaching death. And so I got pissy and I decided to write a book. I never knew it was going to become a worldwide international bestseller. Has it ever? I never, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, and then it became a movie. The next year, Fox is the highest rated television movie in history. It's been in, it's been in, I think, 40 countries seen by 100 million people. Oh you can watch it gosh. on, and you can watch it on the internet. You can go to Danian and Catherine or Danian.com and you can just watch the movie. And I want anybody who goes to watch the movie to realize that I was a thousand times worse than Eric Roberts played me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> whatever you see that Eric Roberts does, take it measured by a thousand times. Because look, I grew up a tough guy. Yeah. Marine Corps. Yeah. I'd hit you in the, I'd hit you in the face. But I discovered that there is a cosmic spiritual world that we all come from. And no one ever dies, and we have to get past it. In this new book that Catherine and I are writing, it's called, uh, it's He Said, She Said, but it's 10 things you need to know before you go. Mm-hmm. And it's just me making fun of everything, because most people who know me, when I, when I know I'm not going to die, and I know I didn't go to hell the last three times, and they've all missed their chance at me. So everything is just based on how entertaining it is. So I wrote this book that said, what's the number one cause of death in America and most other countries? Big question mark. You turn to the next page. It says, no matter what you thought, the number one cause of death is birth. Oh, that's funny. And, and then you turn then you turn to the next page. It says, remember, if you're breathing, you're leaving. Wow. And if you just, and if you just took a breath, this book is for you. And then it says, the first thing you need to know before you go is you never left heaven. 
and I go on to explain the reality. And when you when a person stops to look at science, science, then there are many facets that you can observe. But one of the most important facets that you observe is you're not really here. Think about this, then. Mm -hmm. You exist because you're a spiritual being. Mm -hmm. Science says you don't exist. You're just a bunch of chemical reactions, and the consciousness just exists in the brain. Right. Well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Those are the same people who believe that this is a dead universe. Okay? Well, I believe it's a living universe. Mm -hmm. And why? The basic core element in physical matter is an atom. Right. We all know what atoms. We learned about them in the sixth mm -hmm. grade. Yep. We got interested in them in eighth grade science, physics. An atom is 99.9999999998 empty space. 0.99 empty space. The next composition of a physical matter is a molecule. Mm -hmm. It's 98% empty space. The next physical component, especially dealing with a body, is a cell. It's 99% empty space. So if you took all the empty space out of out of your body and everybody else's body in America, let's say there's 320 million people who live in America. Mm -hmm. I won't say they're all legally here, but there's still 320 million. <laughs> That's another conversation. <laughs> if you took all the empty space out of every atom, mm -hmm. every molecule, and every cell of every body of everybody living in, in, in the United States, the entire population of America would fit in a matchbox. This is proven science. This is not conjecture. This is calculated based on that you have 50 trillion cells in your body that are 99% empty. Now, when you stop to think about that that's the truth, then where are you really? Mm -hmm. You never left heaven. You're still there. You've projected yourself into this consciousness because you want to understand what it's like to be separate from the divine so that you can learn to incorporate through your own kindness and love and support. And we all used to listen to yogis in the 60s say we're all one, we're all connected, but that's only because he was probably so hungry he didn't know the difference. He'd been contemplating his navel, you know, <laughs> sitting in a cave somewhere. You know, who the hell wants to believe all that kind of crap? That's funny. You know? And so, but now, uh, because of the Higgs boson, boson particle discovery by CERN, we know they call it, they give, they've given God a name, dark matter. Because after you leave our our ionosphere and the stratosphere, it's dark out there other than the glow of planets. But that they have proven that we are all suspended in a certain matter, and that a certain compositional frequency that does not reflect light or absorb light, that we all float in. So that's what's in the space of these this empty uh, atoms, cells, and molecules, uh, atoms, molecules, and cells. So we are scientifically proven to be all connected. And so when you look at it from that point of view, and you stop and realize you cannot disprove it. You can have hope and faith, and you can believe all that stuff for the last 2,000 years that you've been told, you know, and you're going to be, if you go to hell, you're going to have torn flesh, and you're going to be tormented and burned, and all of that stuff. And if you look at, if you look at um, going to hell in the Bible, I think it was Clement II in the uh, 1320s because Gutenberg had invented the printing press and that became a sin because uh, regular people were not allowed to read the Gospels and they had to interpret it. And Clement II read Dante's Inferno. And he literally, if you read Dante's Inferno and you cut on your, your uh, TV on Sunday morning anywhere in the South, you hear the descriptions of hell 
exactly as if it was you were reading Dante's Inferno. Interesting. Yeah, when you kill me, I get really interested in the subject matter. And if you kill me two or three times, I get to be an expert. I would say so. I want to ask you, Daniel, just some of the stories of what you experienced when you had the near-death experiences. A lot of times people are talking about seeing their, their deceased loved ones and angels and uh, life review. And Do you have any stories that you can share of what you experienced just to give maybe some hope? Well, or- well, they don't need hope. What do they need? They just need to listen to people who've been there three times. This is where I come from in this sense. Okay. I've had the three, one death experience and two near-death experiences mm-hmm. over a 22-year period. Right. It's like they have to kill me every 20, 10 or 15 years just to keep me interested. <laughs> I bore easy. I know what pain is. Yeah. I know what it's like to live in... And with no chance, I have never been given a chance to survive any of these three incidents. Open heart surgery, brain surgery. Then in 2008, I had to have a massive heart attack and I had to have brain surgery, heart surgery again. Mm. I've never been given a chance to survive these because of the damage done by the lightning. I've survived it. Here's the single most important thing that, that you take away. Okay. The panoramic life review. You will see your entire life pass before you in a 360-degree panorama. You have missed nothing. If you think you're a know-it-all now, wait till you're dead. You you will realize that you limited your skill set, your dynamics, and into a certain place so that you can teach and learn. You're either coming to learn something or you come here to teach something or in various moments. Sometimes we're learners, sometimes we're teachers. And you'll see your whole life pass before you're in a 360-degree hologram. Second, you will watch it as a second-person point of view, as if you were your own best friend. Mm -hmm. Well, you can look at your whole life and you can say, wow, that was really cool. Or, wow, what in the world were you thinking, fool? Mm -hmm. And, And then you literally will become every person that you ever encounter. And you'll feel the direct results of your interaction between you and every person. Not what you meant, but what happened. So the first lesson for everybody to learn is it's never what you do, it's why you do it that you're going to experience. And then last but not least, and this is a Danianism, Mm -hmm. is if God could not come today and God sent you in the life you just reviewed, what difference did you and God make? That is the most important. That's the only thing that's over there that you bring back over here, Sam. That's the only thing. If you, if God could not come today and God sent you in the life you just reviewed, what difference did you and God make? Well, everybody sees their relatives. Everybody, your pets, chickens, <laughs> parakeets, anything that you've ever loved that's ever loved you comes to celebrate you coming home. Oh, good. It's a party. And but the lady asked me the other day, she says, well, what about the people who were killed in a tsunami that killed 200,000 people in Thailand? Yeah. I said, I said, honey, they don't care how you got back. They just back glad you're home. Everybody celebrates your return because it's like the moon mission. You know, like you went to the moon and you came home. It's fine that you went to the moon, but that the, that the craft was able to take off, that you're able to be born and that it was able to splash down and you get out, and they came home safely. That's the way over there it is. This is a chance to become godlike. This is the if God couldn't come today. So what I decided to do based on that is I decided to become a hospice volunteer. And as being a hospice volunteer, then I could be the difference that God would make in people that were facing going home. So... After two years, I've been a hospice volunteer for 38 years. I have 32,000 hours at the bedside of people in transition, mostly veterans. And my youngest was eight and my oldest was 106. Mm -hmm. I've been with 2,008 people going from this world to the next and 340 taking their last breath with me holding their hand. So I'm like a mini doctor in palliative and end-of-life care. 
I, I know what people talk about. I know what worries people in transition. Mm-hmm. And when you ask a person in their 80s and 90s, what they, when they're lying there with maybe a day or two days, here's what they talk about saying, it isn't all the mistakes they made or what they didn't, do, what they did wrong. It's about what they didn't do, hmm. what they could have done. It's not that I was a bad person or this. It's what I was too afraid to try, what I did not do when I knew I should have. So everybody needs to stop and think, Sam. Yeah. What are you hiding from? You know, when you come to that place of you get ready to leave, it's not going to be all the mistakes you made and waiting for somebody to forgive you so that you can be accepted into heaven Mm -hmm. because that means it's not a fair and just universe. And no one gets away with anything because they're going to have a life of you and become every person they ever encounter. Over there, it's different. There's not words. It's not words that's conveyed. You, you... You perceive something, like you wonder about something, and then you conceive the answer, and it becomes a part of you. I mean, I waited 15 years developing a language so I could describe honestly in ways that people could understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I'm the least likely person to to be having these kind of conversations. But the panoramic life view is the greatest gift we get from the near-death experience because it gives everybody a reason to change. A reason to when you look at somebody, even if you're angry, you need to think of your intention. Or even if you, if you think you're doing them a favor, but your intention is to show that you're right. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time. I, yeah, that happens all the time, and you think you've done something great till you become that person. Because we don't live and function based on what. We live and function based on why. We're intentional beings. I have a saying, we're all great, powerful, and mighty spiritual beings with dignity, direction, and purpose. Mm-hmm. That means there's only one thing that can ever go wrong in your life. You allowed something to affect your dignity. And in the course of that, you you get you lose your direction, and that begins to affect your purpose. Everybody needs a call, Sam. Mine is at the bedside of veterans in passing, because most of them pass alone, hospitalized. All they have is the nursing staff, and most World War II veterans have no one left. Mm-hmm. And most people don't want to be around uh, Vietnam because they are bitter. Yeah. Afghanistan and Iraq because they're PTSD, and which is a moral illness, traumatic brain injury. But I'm an old Marine, so I understand it. And I guess I had a little of those problems when I got out of the service. But being crazy, I just didn't have very far to go. <laughs> so I just, I don't think I noticed it. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I just, I just was not going to shoot anybody else because I got tired of, after the panoramic life review, I got tired of hitting my own self in the face. And so when the person lifts out of their body, the funny part is it's like watching it on TV. You're not really there. And it's, you're really of no interest to it. You observe it. But you're not a part of it. And you become keenly aware that you're not. Hmm. You know, and I've had three of these. I watched my open heart surgery. You know, and I I watched them cut my chest open and take my heart out. And, you know, all I'd ever seen was Dr. Uh, Marcus M.D. Yeah. Dr. Marcus Wilby M.D., you know. I thought everybody was praying and holding hands and thinking that surgery was the greatest thing. Then came Grey's Anatomy, but when they did the open heart surgery on me in 1989, they were listening to Jimi Hendrix and talking about sex. Oh, my. But I confronted the doctors and the staff about it, and they said, well, you know, some people are are anesthesia, and the anesthesia 
the anesthesia uh, allows them to hear what's going on, and then they wanted to know if I had felt pain, and I said no, so they said that was an anesthesiatic reaction. I said, so the anesthesia had me floating above myself? Uh-huh. And then back down, the, then the, 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 the chimes, I heard these chimes each time, and then back down the tunnel into that place of light. When you hear people talk about seeing Buddha, God, Jesus, Muhammad, Allah, Krishna, all that names that they have for that being that they meet. Well, the first time I didn't know who that being was, you know, but, you know, it was nice to see somebody in heaven, (laughs) you know, and and, and it it was a loving presence. And it was as though I knew that being and that being knew me. Well, let me tell everybody. After three of these puppies, that person you meet on the other side when you get over there is you. Oh. You are the being reconnecting with yourself. You've never left heaven. It's impossible to do. We hear this story that the greatest of all angels, the greatest of all angels, the morning star, I mean, Satan, Lucifer, mm-hmm. the devil, Beelzebub. Mm-hmm. You know, when you hear all those names, you have to become absolutely assured that, that the devil's been in the witness protection program <laughs> because of all those names that they have. So they tell you that the greatest of all angels uh, ran away from heaven and went into the center of the earth and created hell and took a few angels with them. And that's the reason why we all are tempted and the devil made us do it. Mm-hmm. That's stupid. <laughs> that's stupid. Don't even buy it. Whatever goes wrong, you created it to teach something or to learn something. It's something that you are doing. You are responsible for it. Not Jesus can't save you from your own self. They say, well, you know, you can be saved. The only person that can save you from what you're doing is you. So take responsibility for it. We've created this whole support system, which is a, which has affected our dignity that we call religion. And I've studied probably 30 major religions. Mm-hmm. They all have basic core belief systems. If you look at Christianity, it's Zoroasterism. And they have a basic core beliefs. I support people's belief in the divinity and sanctity of their works and their ideas. And if they frame it in such a way that a religion suits them, I, I support that. I'm more like a, a spiritualist. Mm-hmm. I believe in the divineness of each of our actions, but I also, based on having these experiences, take responsibility. And now, when I come across something that makes me mad, which is like 400 times a day, mm-hmm. then I always think of my intention. Why? Why does it make me mad? And then how should I react? Well, I used to understand why it makes me mad because it's delusional. But how I should act should be in grace and love. I've come a long, long, long way, Sam, in 40 years of being at the bedside and observing people. And I've had maybe 120 people be resuscitated. Some were fundamentalist, diehard, Bible-thumping 80-year-olds that come back and their belief system has been completely changed. They had a brother or a mother or a sister come. But here's something that's even funnier, Sam. Mm -hmm. I have seen people get out of their body and be confused. I have seen the room fill up with light beings. I've never seen an angel. Because when people talk about angels with wings and all that kind of stuff, there's no such thing as that. The Bible never describes an angel with wings. That comes from the Renaissance. When we had to be able to create a dimension since heaven is above us, 
and hell is below us. Then they uh, most of the Old Testament was written in the, in the when when the Israelites were captured in Babylon. The only winged creatures that are found of ancients are Babylonian, and they have statues, but uh, ISIL are blowing all those up. And that's where the angels, and then they have Apollo uh, from the Greek and Mercury, because they had winged feet. And they were called angels in Hebrew means messenger. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean anything else but that. So I've never seen an angel, but I've seen light beings. You know what made the what made saved by the light probably so funny was is chapter five the visions because i was given future visions based on that we did not change and you know here we sit in the middle of so many of 117 i missed a couple but i just missed the timing you know when it would happen Mm -hmm. like the bankruptcy of america I said it would happen around 2000. It didn't happen until 2002, and it didn't take place where we realized it until 2007, but it still happened within a year of when I saw it. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing that I had was the environmental religion. Think of this. You go to heaven. You have these visions from these beings of light. They tell you that around 2014, they would come into play uh, an environmental religion. They said it would start in the 90s, okay, in the 90s. Now, all this stuff was written down in 1976. Oh. It would start in the 90s, and there'd be a Russian leader that would come forward. So in the 90s came Al Gore and the summit in Rio de Janeiro, and then the Russian leader was Gorbachev, who created Greenpeace. Yeah. But that did not create an environmental religion. And I couldn't imagine an environmental religion because that means we would become pagans again. We would become pagans. And how in the world is the Catholic Church, the so-called religion of the earth for uh, Western consciousness, become pagans? Well, I didn't know about climate change then. And the Pope is going to make an, uh, uh, the second most powerful statement. The first is a paper bull, and then there's an encyclical, which is the second most powerful statement. And the Pope is going to turn to the world about uh, climate change. He puts a paper out on Thursday, the 18th of June, an encyclical, probably declaring... Uh, that uh, everyone must, based on the the Pope's following as a Catholic, become involved in environmental uh, climate change. He's also going to come to the United Nations and speak on climate change. He's coming to the United States Congress to speak on climate change. And he's coming to the December Paris meeting about climate change. Well, my issue is this, saying. How will he define the earth in his speeches? How would he define the earth? If he calls it, if he gives it a living identity, or if he gives it a feminine identity, we are pagans. We have returned to what the Catholic Church set out to destroy as a concept. That's the whole. Yeah. I'm Catholic by. Then you already know. And, um, yeah, I try not to get too deep into religion. I'm I'm like, even though I went through a lot of Catholicism, I've found, and, and it's so much like what you had said before, and I, you brought tears to my eyes when you said the person that you meet is you. Because it is you. It, it is. So I live a very spiritual life, and I try, even though very often I can't even remember that I wrote the book and that I'm up to helping people because it's so easy for our egos, I think, to get caught up in it. But loving the concept of being responsible takes us out of victim mode. Can We can lead a much more powerful life. I wanted to ask you something too, just because um, 
there's so many people that have been attracted to my show in particular because their loved ones have either, well, we'll say transitioned instead of dying. Um, but also there's a lot of people that are faced with uh, their, their person that they love so much could be close to the end. And they, and it's, a, there's a lot of pain going on. Do you, can you speak any bit about the pain suffering um, I mean, I know I've heard of miracle healings and th that sort of thing, but how can we put some of this pain and suffering into, I don't know, <sighs> make sense of it? And if we do have somebody who's approaching the end of their life here, um, any just any words of wisdom as you've spent so long by people's bedsides? A person in transition needs three things. Okay. You have to always remember, and this is the, the issue, um, we have genetic problems, but the food that we eat and the lifestyle that we live create most of that suffering. Okay. It's self-wrought. You wrought on yourself. Smoke too many cigarettes, drink too much liquor. You weren't paying attention to what you were eating. Right. You were not thankful or said the blessing for the food that you eat. You did not set values of each day of what you would achieve. And you end up throwing and casting yourself to the mood that you're in. So much pain and suffering come about in the beginning, Stan, because of the selfishness of the family who does not want them to leave. They don't really care about what that family member's going through. They're caring about themselves. Oh, isn't that true? I just want to okay. yell amen out to that. But yeah. Oh, but it's true. That this is the, the, this yep. is the concept. I'm mad at you because I'm going to be abandoned. Right. Please let the doctor cut your head off. Please let the doctor do this, do that. Take you apart one piece at a time. Right. Okay, but that's what has to be. But a, a passing person needs three things. What they need most is to be heard. They need open-ended questions so they can talk. They need to know that their life had true value. You think of one little simple thing that they would have never thought of that had helped you and affected your life as you grow up. And then they have peace. People search for peace. Second, they need an art form of which to transition. Not the preacher coming in and praying, but an art form. It's why I created the Twilight Brigade. The Twilight Brigade is a three-day three training period that makes you an expert in how to handle a person in transition, whether they're at home or whether they're uh, in a hospital, what and how to say it so that that person has closure. And third, they need permission. It's okay to go. What do you think you didn't get done, and can I help do it? And, that, and when I say permission, it has a two-way street. Permission is it's okay, mom will be okay, dad will be okay, the kids will be okay. You know, you reassure them that this is a natural cycle in life. If you were born and you're breathing, you're leaving. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Think about that as a sales pitch for the new book. Yeah, that's awesome. Why, why should you read my book? Were you born? Are you breathing? Then you're leaving. And here's the 10 things you need to know before you go. I can't wait. And, and it's funny, those things. Yeah, you need that. I, I want you to go back to number two, the art form. I didn't quite get what you mean by that. An art form is this. It's a natural cycle. Okay? Yeah. And because the advancements of science and the advancements of cardiopulmonary resuscitation, Yep. And the advancements of the chemical nature of understanding the body, we prolong death. Yes. And we'll do it until the fact that we have put them into so much pain and so much anxiety because they're trying to please you. Not let go and follow the natural course. Now think of this so that everybody who's looking at affordable health care, mm -hmm. think of this. 70 cents of every dollar in health care it's been in the last six months of life to extend life an average of 16 days. 70% <gasps> of every dollar in health care, say it again, is to extend our life. 
70 cents of every dollar in health care is spent to extend life an average of 16 days. And those are the most horrendous, torturous procedures you can imagine. Yeah, I saw my dad go through it, and it was awful. He had cancer, and he was hanging on, and even towards the end, he he wanted to do anything he could to to live and he died a very painful painful and horrible but we have to grow out of that yeah the near-death experience is not a religious experience we have it because science and cardiopulmonary cardiopulmonary resuscitation brings us back if you want to blame someone for there being so much about the near-death experience you have to blame doctors they're the oh, ones. Wow. Jesus is doing it. It's the healthcare <laughs> profession. So for all of those who don't believe that people have near-death experiences because scientists and doctors just believe we're a bunch of chemicals, it's their fault. I think God was in heaven, and she was kind of hanging out and looking at people who didn't believe when people came back. So she invented the near-death experience so that the people who least would believe the reality of the existence of the divine right. would be the cause of us coming back from these divine experiences and experiencing that there is not only a life after death, that it is a glorious return home. You go back to the same place you came from. You don't go anywhere different. It's not someplace else. You know, there was a world before this where you were considered precious, wonderful, and loving. Mm. And then you chose and were chosen. Every person here, the divine architect believed there is no one greater than you to be a representative of them at the exact moment you were born in the social, psychological, and socioeconomic position so that you could uh, be admired find things to admire, to be inspired, or to be inspirational. A a spiritual being in human form only does four things. Mm -hmm. And every action that you ever take will fit in this heading. You look at an event to appreciate it, or you do something to be appreciated. We call those acts of kindness. Yeah. You look for things to admire, or you do things that people admire you for. That's repetition appreciation. Okay. You seek to be inspired by watching sports figures, you know, and heroes and Mother Teresa. Or you seek to be inspirational by your acts and kindness and deeds, like a grandmom. She wants to inspire a mom, a dad. They want to inspire their children to be great. Or you aspire, based on appreciation, admiration, and inspiration, you would aspire to do something. If a person can tell me one thing that will not that they do in their life that will not fit in one of those categories, then everything I say, do, and think is just a lie. And you're not a great, powerful, and mighty spiritual being with dignity, direction, and purpose. It's something's affecting your integrity. Or it's something that you're, or great gracious, something's affected your dignity. Right. Okay? But if you are fit into that category, then you are a great, powerful, and mighty spiritual being with dignity, direction, and purpose sent here to teach and learn. And you are the difference that the divine makes. If the divine God could not come today and God sent you in the life you just reviewed, what difference did God make? Wow. Well, I, I have hospice. Yeah. So when I get to the other side, look how selfish this is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not afraid. You know, I, people say, well, you know, what if people don't think you had a near-death experience? What do I care what people think? What do I care? I don't care. I have absolutely no interest. There is a near-death experience. I had three of the puppies. Right. I've seen hundreds, a uh, hundred and probably fifteen people who've come back from it, and I observe them. But I've watched people. I have seen this happen. I watched my mother at thirty-four years old. My mother had lupus and Raynaud's, 
and she called. They were they had to cauterize her lungs, and they didn't have lasers then; they had torches. Oh. So they had to go in and burn her lungs. And she called me, and she said, "Danny, don't let them hurt me anymore." And I oh. said, "Well, Mom, what about Dad?" She says, "Listen, Marion has come." And she was looking over my left shoulder. So I looked over my left shoulder, and I could clearly see a silhouette. A beautiful silhouette of a being shimmering there, and Mother was looking at her. Marion. When my mother was 16 years old, she was a basketball star in high school, and they were on a bus trip, and she had a 15-year-old sister named Marion. And because the big basketball stars did not want a little sister of somebody up sitting up at the front of the bus, Mother had to make Marion go to the back of the bus. Halfway down the bus, Marion, they hit a bump. Marion fell against the emergency door, fell out, and the back wheels ran over and killed her. Oh, my gosh. Now, if there's a God in heaven, or if that suckers anywhere, who could God send that my mother would know it was safe to let go? Because my mother was one of those people that they could do anything to her because she didn't want to leave us and she didn't want to leave my dad. Mm. And my mother and father never went anywhere separate that knew that they didn't bring the other one back a present. Aww, they, that's very sweet. I mean, I have the greatest mom and dad there was, but when Marion came to get her, all the stress of mother bearing that pain of what had happened, and I saw her. All right, I saw her. So you see, I don't really care what people think. They either believe or have some interest in the fact that they're immortal, divine, spiritual beings sent here on a mission, or they're not. But I have seen people come to get people. I've seen them talk to them. And out of 2008, I don't want to sound like I'm a know-it-all, but I am. That's okay. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm not... I'm not trying to impress anybody. I know, I, but I, you, you know what you know, yeah. But I have seen 18 times, and I questioned five of those then. Okay. I questioned because it might have been three in the morning. I got off work. I got the buzzer. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have like a really day job. I write books because that's how I support the Twilight Brigade. Right. And I can fund the Twilight Brigade, and I don't have to ask the government or anybody for money. Mm -hmm. I like for people to donate. Some people send me $2, and some, you know, just that they care about veterans. And yes. a country's greatness is determined by how it takes care of its veterans. Yes. And America deserves to be exactly where it is, because if you go into work in the VA like I, you see what's happening. Right. And what amazes me, Zan, is this. Affordable health care is modeled after the VA. So everything you see going on in the VA, the whole federal structure of putting people behind and letting them die in the waiting room and not doing anything, and they're dead and stepping over them in the waiting room. Yeah. Okay? That's where you are going to be in 10 years in healthcare. And to close this, Everybody needs to know as much about death and transition. Why? If you were born between 1940 and 1967, 1940 and 1967, mm -hmm. there's 76 million of us here. Yeah, I'm one. <laughs> if the average life expectancy of a male in the United States is 75.2, four years, and the average life expectancy of a woman is 81.2 years. That means that 55 million of us will leave America in the next 13 years. Wow. 55 million. So people have to get ready. Yeah. They have to be knowledgeable of their death experience. They need to look at the Twilight Brigade training. They need to come to Daniel and Catherine. Come join my world, everybody, because what it's going to be is updates every week, stuff that I look at, world things and views that I look at. We read Saved by the Light, like so many. 
I'll never get over how many millions of people read that book all over the world. It's got to be mind-blowing. You can't even probably even get it. (laughs) Yeah, and and the letters I get and the kind of stuff that we get that people, I mean, life-changing and guys in prisons. And I I get letters from prisoners all the time because they play the movie. And I realize why they write me because... All of a sudden, they see somebody that deserved to burn in hell without any question, and I didn't go. That means that they can change. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I have. Most of the... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your sentence. No, you go ahead. Oh, you're so sweet. I love how you call me Sand because those closest to me don't say Sandra. They just say Sand, and I love it. it makes me feel good. Um, it's because but... you're a precious angel, but I'll tell you something. Yeah. In all these meals that you're cooking in your real job, yeah. you need to put a blessing on the table. I can do that. Something that they look at and see that just like it says, please be thankful. Yes. Every mouthful you eat once you bless it sets an intention. And as you eat it, then every time it begins to digest into the system, then it has been given a purpose and a direction and service and desire. And then it always tries to include everyone else. That's great. What, okay, so here's my last question, because this is something I really love about you, is you don't care about what people think. And I'm, and I think I'm not the only one, most of us are dealing with this little voice in our head that uh, is saying, be afraid of this, don't say this, you got to care about what people think. You have any, you know, but I mean, it's really there. You know, I'm still single at 49. I look in the mirror. I'll be a, you know, an old spinster. Like we've got this negative voice. Do you have any? But you've not set, you have not set your intention. Well, can, can you weave that into just these negative not thoughts easy. we have? Here's what everybody should do. Not caring what, what every... people think. Okay, go ahead. Well, no, 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 no. Here's what you do. Okay. You take yourself to lunch. Okay, I can do that. And you'll have a paper, and you'll have a paper napkin. Uh-huh. From this day forth, everybody here carry a black ink pen okay. that writes black. Yeah. Everybody thinks, and it rolls around in their head. Mm-hmm. What you do is from the time you order your food to the time the waiter the waitress brings it, you are in a state of grace. You take that black ink pen out and that white paper napkin, you draw a line down the center. On the left-hand side, you write what you want in a relationship. Okay what you want and on the right side you write why you want it your intention okay and you make sure it's as divinely truthful as you can make it saying okay okay because the universe does not care what you want it only cares why you want it interesting and because okay. the universe has a plan that unfolds universes uh-huh And as that stream of consciousness picks up and it sees that your intention is make the world a better place, that I can build a business and a relationship with a person that inspires other people to create, not be slaves to the system, but to innovate and create and to find love and joy in what we create. It's what Catherine and I do, and to create love and happiness. The universe doesn't care what you want. It cares why you want it. And if why you want it fits into the flow of the unfolding rule, they'll just give you what you want. They'll send 10 guys around, (laughs) you know, and then you'll have have to call me up to help you pick out which is the right one. If you want a motorcycle or a new car, let the intention be that you can deliver meals on wheels, that you can go and help people, that you can stop by a nursing home. And the next thing you know, how to get the car, how to do it happens. Because once you bring it into this reality in black and white, Sam, most people just think it and worry and what other people think. I don't give a crap what people think. And Catherine gets on to me all the time about it. I don't care what they think. I support them in their belief system, but it has no effect on me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And if it had an effect on me before 1975, they wouldn't have had any teeth. <laughs> You know, I was so happy in the old days because Budweiser created the long neck beer bottle. Yeah. Because I could snatch one off the bar, off the bar, somebody's, or I didn't drink Budweiser, but 
I could snatch one off the bar and hit you dead between the eyes with it, never mess up my hand, nothing. It was a perfect hit. So, and I probably did this. That's where the legend of that ain't nothing comes from. Oh, wow. A guy drove, pulled a knife on a friend of mine. I have an article in in Danion. It's called That Ain't Nothing. It's, it, that means in the South, you know, that means it's important. Mm-hmm. That ain't nothing. And the guy pulled a knife and I looked and it scared my friend next to me. And it was a pretty good size switchblade or something. I said, that ain't nothing because I'd already spotted a long neck Budweiser. And I hit him so hard between the eyes that his little eyes went together and he was unconscious still standing and I caught the knife as he fell and I kept the knife. But I figured we'd better leave that place now before the police got there. I spent a whole lifetime doing that. So what people have to do is you gotta bring that intention to this earth. Yeah, I thank you, you for that. And you do it at a time of grace. Yeah. Because when then what you wrote on that napkin Every mouthful that you chew up that brings nutrition to the body, power, oxygen, and blood to the brain, breaks down in chemical enzyme compound reactions, is dedicated to your desire. Uh, Daniel, I love that. It is the first time I've ever heard it that way, and why you want it is so much more powerful than the what. And um, It is the God. Yeah, yeah. She don't care what you want. She's got a whole universe. She's got to create. She, and when you look at there's a hundred billion galaxies. There's 1.1 billion planets in the solar system. We call the Milky Way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you add a hundred a hundred billion solar systems, so I mean galaxies, you're talking about trillions of planets and stars. You think she gives a rat foot about <laughs> what you want? Yeah. She only cares why you want it. And if why you want it fits into what she's trying to do to make something in Venus better, or something in the galaxy a billion miles or a trillion miles from here, then so what? You can have a motorcycle. She doesn't care. Oh, that's brilliant. I, I, our time is coming to an end pretty quick, so I've got to wrap it up. But you, I just want to tell you, and again, I'm hoping this comes from our listener too. You just left me with a giant smile on my face, huge inspiration. You brought tears to my eyes in a good way, and you really touched my soul, and you warmed my heart, and you, you gave me a little bit more of a backbone, because <laughs> I see how much I care what people think. You've given me a tool, some great ones, um, especially why I want it. You know, I'm up to big things. I think we all are up to big things, and, you know, to say it in a state, state of grace, that's that's awesome. So, what I... Go ahead. But saying I've studied this. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I live in death. I mean, I live in palliative and end-of-life care, and that's my fight. But what I ask is for everybody that's listening to this show to know that I love them because mm-hmm. I appreciate them, and I, I, I have, they can go to the website, and they, there's ways to access me, yes. to have me, to help get through situations like that. But even more importantly, I ask them this. Tell two friends about Sandra's show. Help me get two or three more people coming to be able to listen and to be a part of this show. If I have affected you or helped you or made you laugh in any way, I humbly ask you to please get two of your friends to come listen and participate in this show. Thank you. And for our listener, that's we don't die radio.com or you can listen to on iTunes or Stitcher or however you listen to your things on the internet. Danian, a gigantically huge mega thank you from myself and from the millions of people that you have impacted and that you will continue to impact because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt when that next time comes <laughs> where you transition, it's going to take, yeah, but it'll take a lot of time for you to go through all the people that you impacted a lot of time and, and just that you get back everything that you've given out. So thank you. Yeah. Years, awesome. And to our guest today, thank you for taking the time to listen. I mean, to our listener, thank you for listening to our guest and myself on We Don't Die Radio.com. My name is Sandra Champlain. 
I want to leave you with a quote from our guest, which he said earlier, you are a great, mighty, and powerful spiritual being with dignity, direction, and purpose. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.